1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this very special Together We Read edition of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is just Adam today. Jill is off in Denver for the American Library Association uh, midwinter meetings. So she's doing some awesome interviews, uh, meeting with a bunch of publishers, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, All that means is you just have me for today. Uh, Today's interview is with Dennis Bach, who is the author of The Communist's Daughter, Uh, The Communist Daughter was chosen by our Canadian users as the Together We Read uh, digital book club. So basically what that means, if you're not familiar with our book clubs, if this is the first time you're hearing the podcast, uh, Together We Read is a digital book club, and it's being featured through all of our participating libraries throughout Canada from February 15th through March 1st. Uh, so what that means is that anyone who is a member of one of those participating libraries can borrow the Communist's Daughter from their library's OverDrive website without any waitlists or holds. It'll be right on the front of your website. You'll see it right away. Uh, and then you can go to togetherweread.com and join our book club. You can chat about the book. You can share your thoughts. Uh, you can tell us what you think of the book, discuss themes, basically anything you would normally do in a book club, but do the wonders of the internet. And as a part of our book club programs, our Together We Read programs, our Big Library Read programs, it's a global one, we always do interviews with the authors. So Dennis Bach came on the episode today to discuss with uh, Jill and I his book, uh, The Communist Daughter. Uh, It is a really interesting historical fiction novel. Uh, It tells a mostly true story of the legendary Canadian doctor Norman Bethune, uh, but he also inputs some of his own ideas and some of his own aspects to create this really, really great story uh, about his travels through northern China and and all sorts of other stuff. So I won't get into all of that because uh, Dennis gets into all of that with us in just a few moments here. Uh, If you are interested in reaching out to us, you can find us at pro book nerds on instagram and twitter you can always email us at professional book nerds at overdrive.com and again if you this is the first time you're hearing the podcast because of the together we read program you can subscribe to our podcast in itunes you can subscribe to our podcast on spotify on stitcher really anywhere that you listen to podcasts you can find us just search professional book nerds and there we will be Um, okay I'm not going to keep you guys any longer. I hope you all enjoyed this wonderful, wonderful conversation we had with Dennis Bach on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. (laughs) Hi everyone, it's Adam and Jilligan, and today we're incredibly excited to be joined by Dennis Bach, the number one national best-selling and award-winning author of such books, including Olympia, which won the Canadian Association Jubilee Award and The Ash Garden, which was shortlisted for the prestigious International Impact Dublin Literary Award, among others. His novel, The Communist Daughter, was chosen as the next Together We Read Canadian book club selection. So from February 15th through March 1st, users all across Canada uh, who are a part of Overdrive Libraries can borrow the title without waitlist or holds from their Overdrive collection, and then they can join the, our discussion at togetherweread.com. So Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
3: Would you mind kicking us off by providing an introduction to *The Communist Daughter*?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, *The Communist Daughter* is a—it's a fictional memoir um, written in the voice of Norman Bethune, who was a a really uh, famous Canadian surgeon back in the thirties. Um, he was—he was—he was, uh, he was, he was uh, an inventor. He was uh, a war battle surgeon. He was—he was. Uh, he was he was a sort of uh he was a, an idealist. He was an altruist who just sort of, you know, went into the heart of of, uh, of the two main uh, wars uh, back in the '30s. He was—he uh, was a communist. He was, but he was—he um, was the kind of guy who wanted to change the world for the better, and that's what attracted me to to the story of Norman Bethune in the first place. Um, his sort of like big adventurous life he lived in. Spain, and he lived in China, where he worked. Um, he, he just was—he just—he like, was an incredibly impassioned and um, and, uh, and and active kind of guy who who really wanted to, to change the world for the better. Uh, and, and and so I knew a little bit about him before I started writing the book. I knew his sort of the resume, you know, like the things he did and the places he went and so on. Um, that was enough to attract me into his life to sort of start thinking deeply about him, but. What I found way more interesting than than the great adventures that he lived through was was why he did what he did, what motivated him, and all the books that I read about him. Um, you know, they talked about his great accompl- accomplishments and so on, but I never really tried to understand who the man was. in the end. So it, he's, he, he's, he's a way more complicated figure than I ever thought he would be, um, but as a novelist I'm really drawn to that sort of complicated layering character that Bethune really is in real life.
1: So I have to say, um, th- before doing research for this, I I knew who Norman Bethune was, but as I did a little bit more research, you know, I found out just how famous he was. Like you mentioned in China, I mean they literally have statues of the guy. Um, so, I'm curious, as a not from a novelist standpoint, what made you want to create a fictional story around someone who is, admittedly, as historical figures go, he's pretty well established?
2: Yeah, well, well that's the exact reason, because the legend sort of overshadows the reality. Uh, you know, he's been in China, for example, he's been used as a, as a model of, 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 you know, living and behavior and, and ethics and all that stuff for, for you know, 70 years. And rightly so, fine. He was an amazing.
3: While you were writing and, and researching his story, did you come across any challenges, or were there benefits to using his real-life story to to ground the the tale you were telling?
2: Challenges. Um, well, the, the challenge was really sort of trying to trying to understand him. I just sort of moved beyond the you know the the, like the, the 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 big adventurous life that he lived and the great accomplishments that he achieved. Um, yeah so I mean that was that was the you know nothing is easy in, in novel writing but that was the easiest part sort of just following his life you know um, uh, until I came to this like I didn't know where to go in the way I write novels I never know where I'm going from one day to the next until quite near the end and um, quite near the end of this of the writing process of the first few drafts um, I came across this um, you know this, this silence this, this blank, this blank spot in, in the written history of Norman Bethune. He was a really, um, active letter writer and poet and short story writer. And he was always writing opinion pieces for the, for the, the newspapers and letters home, etc. But there was this, there's this brief period in time where, where all evidence of Bethune sort of disappears in terms of, you know, getting his thoughts, uh, down on paper when he returns from Spain and before he goes to China. Um, and that really intrigued me. I wondered why he stopped writing, why he stopped committing himself um, on paper, and, and I, I saw this as the opportunity um, of, a, of a novelist to, to go in and sort of investigate the, the silences of, 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 of that, what happens, what happens to a man um, just before that silence falls over him, to make that silence occur, right? Um, and I and I I that's what my book is about. It's it's, it's sort of looking into into the uncharted uh, part of his life and speculating and sort of building out from from what I've learned about him and drawing some sort of larger understanding about about what made him do what he did.
1: So is that why you chose to to make this story? Uh, first-person uh, first narration because of his sort of prolific writing ahead of time and then there being that, that gap.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to make, uh, I wanted to recreate his voice. That was really important to me. So the letter is presented in, in the form of, of seven very long letters to a daughter that he in fact, never did have. But as a novelist, um, you're quite free to do whatever you want if you put the, you know, the word novel on the front of your book. <laughs> and so, <as> a storytelling <laughs> device, I, I created, uh, I gave him a daughter. Um, he actually did, in fact, have a relationship with a, with a woman in Madrid. Um, and, uh, and I sort of just ex- extrapolated out of that, and, and it turns out that this woman was, was in, rea- in reality, sus- suspected of being a spy. So, it was a, a wonderful sort of irony. That um, for a novelist, you know, to to realize that his his um, very lefty communist uh, protagonist was you know was sleeping with uh, quite literally with the enemy, um, and so I just sort of you know sort of kept kept putting pressure on that on that part of the story, and suddenly his daughter appeared, and and there there became the sort of the anchor for the for the narrative. He, these letters are all addressed to the daughter he never met um and he didn't meet her because he he abandoned spain uh for china because he had uh he had a really rough time in in spain not in terms of of his war experience but working with the people around him who saw him as an empire builder as reckless um his his ego and his vanity really bothered a lot of people and he was he was really uh He was really bothered by the fact that personalities could get in the way of the struggle, right? So this was his first challenge—the challenge that, uh, that, that, that sort of, you know, that that challenged his his idealism that he had brought to Spain, and that's the reason why he he stopped writing when he went back to North America for uh, for a couple of months, and before he went to China, which is in my idea of the theme, the reason why he went back to China or why he went to China after Spain was to seek some some form of redemption. after having lost this faith, this, uh, this idealism, this, this altruism that had carried him to Madrid in the first place. So the daughter is, is really an anchor to the novel.
3: Both the Communist Daughter and the Ash Garden are set uh, against the backdrop of war. As a writer, was it what is it about war stories that attracts you so much?
2: Well, um, I, I, I guess um the urgency everything is you know quite literally life and death um you know i grew up in peaceful toronto or <laughs> southwestern ontario and you know, had no taste of it thankfully but my parents came came to canada from germany in the 50s and they were kids during the second world war and so i heard a lot of their stories my mom specifically um you know lived in a, a city that was that was that was bombed a lot and that, that sort of thing so she was um She had a living memory of 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 war, and I was always sort of um, a part of those memories as she as she talked to me as a as a kid, and so that um, that sort of mood somehow kind of permeated my childhood, and it's it's kind of very easy for me to imagine those times, uh, the times that my mother used to tell me about, and my my father as well. So it's it just. At that time when I was writing those books, uh, *Communist his daughter in the Ash Garden, it felt very natural for me to, to want to go back to that era and to explore it and to
1: recreate certain images that I had formed, um, I guess, as a kid. So as I was kind of thinking through those two books, one of them is structured around an instrument of you know, total destruction and death uh, well the other one is about a person you know Bethune who works really hard to save lives on a you know a singular level almost one at a time and then at a, at a far greater le- greater level with you know the things that he brought about um, for you as a writer did you feel a connective tissue between these two stories I mean I know that they're both on the opposite spectrum of war admittedly but did you feel them being connected at all yeah well both are the characters
2: that the, 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 the protagonists in those books, Anton Boll, the physicist who helped create the atomic bomb and Norman Bethune, they're both men in a unique position where they have some talent that permits them to change the world quite literally. You know, like you said, uh, you know, Anton Boll can change the world in one fell swoop and affect the lives of millions of people by helping develop the bomb. And assumed more on a sort of case by case basis, but they they were both instrumental in their times, and um, and had to make certain decisions, right? What to do? You know, how do you lead your life? Um, you know, ethically, properly, in in a in a manner that, in the end of at the end of your days, you will you will be proud or you will be shamed. Um, so I, 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 I was really interested in in in, in finding. Really brilliant men who, who in fact, you know, did have that ability, that power, that, that intellectual, um, know how to affect the times that they lived in. And, you know, when you have that great, uh, that great ability,
1: follow up on that i was just thinking about these you know very famous human beings that affected the world in, in such a great way are those the type of stories that you know we we talked about how you see war stories as life and death and so the immediacy of them and things like that but uh when you're discovering stories that you want to expand on and create novels about is it looking for those famous individuals and building it out from there or I guess just where do you know, where do the ideas come from? Is it either the people or the, the idea of, you know, war as as a whole? I'm just really interested by the fact that you had these two mm-hmm. very famous people. Yeah, well
2: Massune yeah, well, it was it was sort of the idea of his life, the the, 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 the big the big challenging adventure that he that he led, that, that his life was. That was that was what drew me into and then I began to discover, you know, the complications and layering that goes into a character like that. Um, the Anton Boll character in the Ash Garden, um, I think I wanted to find, um, you know, a sort of watershed moment, a pivotal event in history, and just sort of work outwards from that. And, I mean, you know, you, you as, a, as a writer, you, you stumble through many, many drafts and so on, and so it took a long time for me to realize, you know, what kind of book I was writing, and and who, in fact, I would write about, right? So, and then, I, when, I, when I finally discovered what I wanted to write about in the Ash Garden, I um, I decided to sort of, you know, draw a, a hard line between good and evil, and then uh, break down those stereotypes as much as I could. And so, I, I wrote about a survivor uh, who was affected by by the bomb in Hiroshima, and half of that novel is narrated in her voice. And you know, the the, the dark side of the equation, the, the scientist who helps with the construction of the bomb, I wanted to create layers in him as well. So I wanted to sort of switch hats from you know, black hat, white hat and sort of find the humanity in both of those characters. So each book is a sort of it's a very kind of slow peeling away of layers. I don't really start out with one hard bang and everything is clear in my head. It's all it's a very, very slow process of stumbling forward and back and forward and back until until the book is is pretty well there in front of you
3: i've seen you say that when you are when you're writing one of your books uh what you read you're very selective about that what is the reason behind that
2: well uh when i'm writing a book in, in first person and uh, I, I i cannot read uh a book in third. Um, I, have to, I have to read because I'll, you know, if, if I'm writing a book in first person, and I read and I pick up, pick up a book uh, by Colm Tobin and written in third person, I'll be so mesmerized that I will want to switch my narrative to third person. Right? Um, I'm in a sense I'm a chameleon. You know, I, I get really excited about the voice that I'm reading, and if it's in a voice that I'm not trying to work in. I will begin to <laughs> doubt myself or, you know, want to switch narrative voices or something like that. So also subject matter helps, right? Um you know, if you're if you're writing um you know books set in the forties, it's it's maybe a good idea to pick up a couple of novels written at that time or that reflect that time, uh, to help you with nuance and language and certain small details, that sort of thing, right? So I'm
1: just just to, not to—I don't want to make you more paranoid, but now I'm thinking about this. Um, so, if you're writing a book like set in the 40s around, you know, World War II, do you ever concern yourself with if you're reading a book about World War II set in that time? If do you ever get worried that you're going to read a snippet of something and be like, "Oh, wait, actually, I think I want to tell that story."
2: Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't go too closely to my own subject matter. <laughs> um, you know, when I was writing the Ash Garden. I think um the Memoirs of a Geisha was really big at the time or just a, a year or two earlier. Um and there's uh, you know I I I knew the basic storyline of 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 that novel, but I didn't go near it because I thought well I'm going to inadvertently sort of, you know, pick up too much from that novel or 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 that it, it would influence me in a way. So, um specific subject matter I stay away from, but but in terms of voice and and general content, yeah, I can be, I can, I can look for books that will that will help guide the way for sure.
3: So, when you aren't writing, what sorts of books do you like to read?
2: Uh, I love reading memoirs, uh, memoirs and autobiography. They have a really great sense of, of encapsulating a life. Um, I like the, the storyteller's um, distant point of view. You know, when you're outside the story as as the reader, um, the, and the life is. I said autobiography. I should have said biography. When a life is complete, right? I really love that sense of 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 a life having been lived and and retold to a reader. Um, something I don't know. Something something beautiful and nostalgic about that when a life comes to a completion.
1: All right. So since we have a writer with us who loves reading memoirs, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you. Do you have any memoirs that you recommend, or just a few that you really loved personally?
2: Um I, I read a, I used to read a lot when I was when I was a bit younger. Um, but I, I can't I can't think of the, the the most recent one I've read actually. That's okay, No uh, worries.
3: So speaking of when you were younger, um, we've noted in your biography that you state that you had very few English language books available in your childhood home. So I'm just sort of curious when did you sort of decide that you wanted to be a writer for a living?
2: Uh, yeah, probably in, uh, sort of midway, midway through high school, um, you know, I was the kind of kid who wasn't really good at, at anything at school until, until books were, were presented to me, until English class got serious, and, and then everything became, you know, quite wonderful and, and easy for me. Uh, until then I had, you know, I had no spe- uh, specific, you know, talents or interests that I can recall. Um... Yeah, so I guess one of the reasons is because we didn't have lots of English language books at home. Um, books we did have were were German books, I think. And my parents weren't great readers either, you know. So we had some encyclopedias and so on, but but that was it. So and so, but you know, our house was a was a story of was a house of storytellers, really, more than than readers at the time. And so I think that's what sort of that's what primed my imagination. I think um, always. Imagining what was off the page, what was you know beyond the walls of the house, the, the, what my parents had left behind as youngsters coming from Germany. Um, so I think it was probably when I was around 16 or something like that. Then that I began to read serious novels. I sort of leapfrogged right over the fairy tale stuff and the and the you know young adult writing or reading, I should say, and the Hardy Boys and that sort of thing, right into you know Hemingway and Fitzgerald and you know, Gertrude Stein and and those those glorious expats back then. Um, and, I, and I hit the ground running, I think, at, at that point.
1: So after that, did you take, like, creative writing classes? Where I guess, you know, at, beyond your teenage years, were you anticipating being a writer for a living?
2: I, I, I did anticipate it, though, long before I had any sense that I'd be able to do it. Um, in fact, you know, I mean, I wanted to do it. It, 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 it seemed like like a wonderful life to lead you know I had some sort of romantic notions of what writers do I think uh, when I was a teenager but um, you know it just turned out that I was actually able to do it so I did not take any creative writing classes uh, though who knows it may have helped me I give them now I, I teach at U of T uh, a lot and uh, you know there's there are certain things you can you can, you can communicate about the writing process and what stories you need and what, what, you know, how to sort of uh, edit yourself and that sort of thing. But, um, you yeah, know, quite unre- unrealistically, I decided I'd be a writer by the age of 18 or something like that <laughs> and uh, and started, you know, writing terrible short stories and poems and so on and spent the next 10 years of my life trying to do that until I started writing okay stories, right? So, yeah, it was, it was a dream that I had from from very early on. Um,
1: you mentioned the, the writing and... and process and the editing process i think i saw in an interview you did that you will basically write hundreds of thousands of words for your books and then just kind of chop stuff is that correct uh
2: i'll write hundreds of thousands of words for sure and i'm probably not that unusual i'm I'm, I'm sure most you know literary writers do that um i've read a lot of interviews and talked to a lot of writers who say the same you know i'm halfway through my book and i still don't know what it's about you know, I'm the same way. So I write a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, it's not just sort of, uh, you know, chopping out the excess 85% of it. It's, it's, you know, sort of, it's finding good stuff, um, you know, inside the, the 500,000 words and then, you know, extracting that and then, you know, rewriting the whole part, that whole part. Right. So it's, it's not just a lot of, uh, cutting and then, and then cutting and pasting. It's, um, you know, writing a lot of words to find your characters to find your setting um, looking for your story I think I think writers or I at least unconsciously leave some signposts along the way you know if you see that you know as you look over a draft from six months earlier uh, that you keep referring to to something uh, some motif uh, comes up again and again um, you know you might sort of pause to examine it and to Ask yourself, you know, why? Wh- why does this, you know, red rose keep <laughs> occurring in this in this in this protagonist's life, for example? And then, sort of using using that motif to find some, you know, find some 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 edge into the story, right? So it's all very kind of you know, airy fairy and mystical, but it, it's, it's like just to get to that point where you can begin a serious edit, and that's where the storyteller's craft. Comes in, you know. There's a lot of craft involved. It's not just sort of closing your eyes and banging it, up, banging it out. Um, you know, sort of worrying about pacing and characterization and 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 you know, resolution and all that sort of thing, right?
1: Okay, you're describing this very clinically, but you have <laughs> to be honest. It has to hurt a little bit to chop that much of your writing.
2: Oh yeah, no, it's it's. it's terrible it's, it's you know when you're doing it you think you're cutting off your arm um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so horrible right but it's you know it's 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 necessary and, and and you know every writer does it right you just you can't just you know publish the first 300 pages that come out yeah so it's um you know it's, it's very you know there's, there's a lot of discipline there's a lot of like tough days like oh my god i love that character but you realize that character no longer belongs in your story that sort of thing right and destruction over and over again you know until you until you
1: only have the, the creation part okay that that last question was kind of like a touring test situation <laughs> I was just making sure that you weren't a robot here so we're in the clear <laughs>
3: okay good <laughs> so at the end of every uh, interview we like to do what we call the nerd nine which are nine um, sort of rapid fire light-hearted questions so don't put too much thought into them
2: okay okay good so, that means I won't either <laughs>
3: What was the last book you finished reading?
2: Uh, It was a manuscript just two days ago uh, from one of my my freelance clients.
3: (laughs) Do you have a favorite place to read?
2: Uh, At my desk.
3: What book made you fall in love with reading?
2: Uh, A Farewell to Arms.
3: What is one place that you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet?
2: Argentina, Patagonia.
3: Do you have a favorite holiday you like to celebrate?
2: Um no I don't. I'm I'm so unreligious, it's it's just it's terrible. <laughs>
3: no, that's fair. Are you a coffee or tea drinker?
2: Coffee.
3: Cats or dogs? Dogs. Do you have a favorite food? Indian. And if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would you pick?
2: Um,
1: Pierre Trudeau. That's a good one.
3: And what? finally, what do you hope readers take away from reading The Communist's Daughter?
2: Uh, just the idea that he is a very complex and, and complete man who, uh, while being able to, like, changed a big corner of the world and changed it for the better. He was also a deeply flawed man, which means he was a real human being.
1: That's perfect. Dennis, this was a lot of fun and really informative, so thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It was a pleasure. Thanks for your interest. Thanks. Thanks.
3: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace.